Hey, Squash fans, this is a special episode because we're celebrating the life of a legend in the game by re-releasing an original episode that we recorded back in March 2021. I'm joined today by my co-host, Bill Buckingham, who also knew this person really well for a long time and and had a major impact on his life. And um, Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks, Connor. Not the um, the normal upbeat um, roundup that we usually do um, as you know, anyone listening probably knows by now, um, this past uh, week and just, just yesterday, we learned the, the passing of Dave Talbot, the former Yale squash coach for 38 years, uh, died at the, at the very young age of 71 yesterday. And, uh, we had done a podcast with Dave right after he retired from Yale and, we figured this would be a good time to put it back out again for folks who hadn't listened to it. And I I sent it over actually directly to a bunch of friends of mine who I know had listened to it and uh, they wanted to listen to it again and uh, they were looking for it. So looking to put this out and maybe have have a new audience who maybe didn't know Dave and then the the folks who did know Dave really well will, uh, we think, we think get a big kick out of this. Yeah, it was uh, when I was re-listening to this episode, it, it was slightly eerie, you know, knowing of his passing, but also it just brought such a huge smile to my face, being able to hear his voice. And he he really was one of a kind. And the, the expression is they don't make him like they used to really kind of holds true for a guy like Dave. And he just was this character who just leaves such an indelible impression, good or bad sometimes, <laughs> depending on how you how you interact with him. But just um, overall, just incredibly positive and and such a huge impact. So when you think of Dave, what comes to mind for you? I, I think this podcast, you'll hear everything, right? So he was very serious about the sport of squash. He, was, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a very, you, you could have a great time with Dave talking to him and joke around. He was very serious about the game of squash. And I think it comes through in the podcast. We do joke around a lot about his golf game and about things off the court. But when it came to squash itself and the growth of squash, he took that very seriously. And, and uh, you know, that wasn't anything that was, it, it was very, the sport was very important to him. The growth of the sport was very important to him. And I think, look at the CSA today, and I think a large part of that is testament to him. So th- that's one of the things that sticks out to me. The other is something that has happened a bit more recently, and I won't I won't divulge any any um the, the specifics on this. But there, there's a Dave and I share a friend, a gentleman who who we're both very close to and have known very well for years. And this this gentleman fell upon some hard times, not financially, but ha- had some had some had a rough going, including uh, serving some time in prison. And Dave was one of the few people, and I'd like to think my, I, I was one of these people also, but Dave really stood by him when a lot of other people in, in Dave's circle did not. And Dave made sure that he stayed in constant communication with this guy. And when his circumstances changed and he was released from prison, Dave, been, he FaceTimed me. It was his, literally his first day when he was released. And uh, he was at Dave's house and Dave and he were uh, hitting golf balls in Dave's uh, makeshift par three golf course that he had set up in his yard <laughs> out, out in Connecticut. And they FaceTimed me. It's more of like a celebratory call to say, hey, our friend's home. And, you know, and, and it, they were all very happy. And it was like kind of like a mini reunion because we hadn't seen each other in quite some time. So um, it struck me as Dave being so loyal to this person. And uh, and I, it, it, uh, this person and I communicated just yesterday and um, a very tearful phone call. And this gentleman expressed to me how important it was, Dave's friendship and Dave's loyalty and Dave standing by him. Um, so that's who Dave Talbot was. 
I was trying to think or gather my my thoughts before for this episode. It was, it was you know, it's hard to do. Um, and there's a lot we'll see written about him, and I, I think it would all hold true. So what I wanted to share was similar to you, sort of the how did Dave impact me or some stories about him. And on the top of the list was just how much he cared about people. And you know this. He always looked out for sort of the little guy who needed that extra help, who wasn't getting the attention, who, who did he want to make sure was taken care of. And so uh, that was just very apparent from working with him. Um, the other thing I would say, he's a little bit ahead of his time in terms of uh, professional casual as a dress code. <laughs> like, he, he, he wore that so well, and it, it influenced me. I remember, you know, he'd be wearing that kind of like, whether it was sweatpants with like a sweater vest, but always uh, he had squash shoes on. And it was, I was very perplexed by that because I was like, why is he wearing squash shoes? He's not playing squash. And it was very confusing. And I was like, oh, he's really on to something here. Because when I would go do events and be on my feet all day, I was like, I was thinking to Dave and I was like, let me try the squash shoes things. And it worked like a charm. Yeah, so, yeah. The, the blue blazer, the khaki pants and the black, the black prince cloth squash shoes. That, that was that was Dave's outfit. And he, you're right. Way, way ahead of his time, for sure. Way ahead of his time. Way ahead of his time. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, waiting for COVID to come clear and pass. And uh, he would have been a model. Um so uh, the last thing was he was one of the coaches, and this this seems to be becoming more of the norm, I think, where uh, coaching both the men's and the women's, right? And so I asked him, I was like, hey, how's the team doing this year? And he's like, you know, beyond the rankings, like more about like, how are they doing? And he goes, ah, you know, Connor, <laughs> over my years, I there's kind of like three different ways that this goes. Sometimes you get a year where they hate each other and they can't stand being in the same room. They can't even look at each other. The bus rides are awkward. It's terrible. And then he's like, then there's the opposite of that. It's like where they get along, quote, too well, right. <laughs> where, where everyone's in and out of relationships. They're hooking up. There's drama. There's this. They're mixing too much. They're, you know, partying too much. And, um, and he goes, my favorite, this is Dave speaking. He's like, my favorite is where they're just indifferent. <laughs> it's like they can just kind of coexist. Right. They get along. Everyone does their own thing. They're not mean to each other. They're not too nice. He's like, that's my sweet spot. Definitely, so. definitely. Yeah, Dave, 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 Dave was very passionate about many things and, and, and coaching obviously was his number one passion. Dave and I shared one other passion just anecdotally was the joy of playing a sub two hour 18 hole golf round. Dave and I used to tee off quite frequently, you know, as you may well imagine at the Yale golf course, Dave had an in, right? He knew, he knew everybody there. Everybody knew Dave. So we would get there. And although the tee times say wouldn't start until 6.30 a.m., Dave and I would get there at 6 o'clock a.m. And the start would be, all right, go, go, go. And send Dave and I out. And Dave would, Dave and I would race through 18 holes. And on several occasions, we broke the two hour mark for 18 holes at Yale golf course, which, um, which, which if anybody's played the Yale golf course will know that is a, that is probably a bigger feat than breaking par there is, is breaking, <laughs> breaking two hours. So. And walking or, or, uh, we, we, we would walk on occasion, but when we were in a hurry and we need, I needed to get back to work and he needed to be back in the office to do sub two hours. You definitely had to take a car, especially at Yale. So, um, yeah. And, and yeah. We, we broke two hours quite often. I will say I, I never beat Dave head up in a match. I had several opportunities to close him out and, and beat him in a match and have bragging rights. And <laughs> I, I was never quite able to do it. So th those were some of my fondest memories of Dave on the golf course and the time that we spent when he would tell stories as we were chugging along uh, at breakneck speed uh, down the fairways of Yale Golf Course. 
Well, this story also wouldn't be complete without sharing the the sad news of his wife also passing. And I didn't know her as well, but just from knowing him and how he talked about her, it's like they were a package deal, was one one with the other. So talk about their relationship. Yeah, I mean, for, 40 years. So obviously, I mean, I didn't know her as well as I knew Dave. I just know she was always there. So you always saw her at every squash match. Uh, you saw her at Payne. She was a part of the Brady Squash Center just as much as Dave was. And you could tell the way the players gravitated towards her and the way she gravitated towards his teams. Um, so it, it was it was a dynamic that it was it was awesome to see because, uh, you, you know, <laughs> as you know, <laughs> marriage is hard and uh, they, they certainly made it look easy. They were they were definitely a couple in love for sure for for the 40 years that they were married. So a total tragedy. So we hope this uh, podcast is more of a shining light because it, it's a chance to hear Dave and you hear every facet of Dave Talbot in this podcast. And I'm also glad that we captured this moment and uh, can share it with you. So we hope you guys enjoy. And while we will miss Dave, he lives on in terms of all the, the people's lives he impacted and him and Yell Squash are synonymous forever. Enjoy the show, folks, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, well, what do you think the title we should make it? We'll have to think about that. Um, Come on, you didn't like mine? Legacy and Leadership. Was that what it was? The Legend and the Legacy. Dave Talbot. Awesome. Awesome. I think it's good. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. What about this? This call is being recorded. Oh, yeah, what a cute dog. Yeah, it's my third shepherd. Got wow. her during quarantine. Yeah. Oh, it's my It's been God. dogless for 20 years because it's work. That's why I quit work. <laughs> okay, let's go. Record. You ready? We're ready. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of The Breakdown. Each episode just keeps getting better and better. And which episode is this, Bill? Connor, we have reached episode eight. Episode number eight. I think it's going to be great. I think this is the preparation for this was solid. Everyone was ready to go right at 10 o'clock as normal. This has the makings of our best episode ever, just by the way it started off. <laughs> yeah. Well, the teaser for this one is we're going to be talking to the legend and talking about his legacy. And we're going to get in and introduce him. So, Bill, why don't you bring him on? Connor, it's uh, our pleasure after uh, an arduous 25 minutes of tech and uh, did Bill Gates and um, every other tech person would be proud of. Welcome our second guest ever on The Breakdown, uh, Yale coach, former Yale coach as of uh, February 1st, 2021, men's and women's, the legend of squash, Dave Talbot. Welcome, Dave. Welcome to the uh, show. Thanks for having me, you guys. Uh, I'm just laughing because after 38 years, if whoever listens to this, we've probably crossed paths, knows my technical skills are handled by other people for the last 38 years. So thanks for, uh, I compliment Connor. I've known for many, many years and uh, he walked me through. So it's good to be here, guys, after uh, getting me set up and um, I'm happy to join you. Well, we couldn't be more thrilled. And we're going to break this down into two different sections. And the first one we normally do is we call it the R&R segment or the ratings and ranking segment. So we are going to put you on the spot here, Dave, <laughs> but we're going to try and make it as fun as possible. So the first one for you to think back throughout your career, and the scenario here is picking top three men and women alum. But the scenario is you're going to go on a, a, a trip and you're going to play some squash and you're going to be traveling and but playing a lot of squash. So you, you want to bring your A squad, but that I want you to pick your top three men and your top three women that you would choose to travel with. And it can be a combination of their skill or personality. But who are the top three alums that come to mind for you? 
Wow, that's a great question. Um, and you know, I could I could spend a lot of time thinking about that, but let's go with the lightning here. That let's start with the women. Um, I took over in two thousand five uh, from my brother Mark, who arguably left me maybe uh, when he went out to start Stanford. And even knows the history, and we'll leave that one. But that's when I took over the men and women together. And the reason I start with that is because uh, I got to coach Michelle Quibell for two years. So she's on my squad and in the recent Hall of Fame. And I think that squad alone, which was a couple national championships, uh, when I took them over, may have been the best team, arguably uh, one of the best teams ever, certainly one of the best teams ever. And I think goes up even against some of the best Harvard teams. So I take Michelle and then moving forward, um, a a young lady who's out there playing all the time. I got to take Millie Tomlinson because she's, you know, out there competing for Team England and they both are, are, are very special. And then, you know, wow, the third, that's a, that's a tough one. You know, I, I, you know, one I would go with is, um, and people, if they know college squash, remembers Kim Hay. And she had both her Achilles, both right and left during her college career had to be repaired completely and still was one of that national championship team that I had in 11 where she, she was the difference maker. So I just thought she never got her potential because of the physical, but there were so many things about her when you say not just how good they were. So that's my women's squad. Well, and I know this is a tough one, Dave, because you've been in the sport for so long. Now, what about the men's side? Yeah, well, I was going to, I was just, I was trying to take a second, you know, to decide because, you know, you go back in the eras. And of course, that's the great part. When I look back on my career, I've I've gone from, you know, the CSA and a six man and hardball to the transition to where I just stopped when college squash is the training ground for the best in the world. So when I go back there, one of the reason I bring that up in the ear is because, you know, somebody who let's start with my early stuff. You got to look at uh, John Musto, um, who just an incredible career, who's still coaching, who won the 50 and over what British. So, you know, a few years, a couple of years ago. Um, and of course, he was the leader of that early stuff. And we won our first national championships in 89 and 90. And then sort of moving forward, I, I, I would put Julian Illingworth on my squad, who people realize his great career. He came in the same time as Yasser El Halabi, never won an intercollegiate championship. And, um, you know, that's that's the funny part of my career with, you know, the national championships, all the great players. We never had an individual. Well, that was Vic Wagner from Canada. But leave that. I need a third, right? So there's so many, you know, in there that I've got to really think. And I don't know, I, I sort of, you know, I could pick 10 different guys and, and it's not necessarily who would beat all the things. I, In some ways, you know, a cross between TJ Jambinski and Spencer Lovejoy in the modern era. So I'll throw an extra in there and what they did for the squad. So let, we'll, we'll go there. We got a half hour. I know Dave's retired now because I think if we asked him this question like five years ago, he probably would have looked and seen who's... Uh... Who had the biggest donations uh, to, the, <laughs> to the program and named them one, two, and three without breaking a sweat? So I appreciate that he actually went with just basic squash skill and, uh, and, and enjoyment of playing and people who play hard on court. It shows a lot of growth on Dave's part, and I, I think we all appreciate that. I expect nothing less than that comment from Buckingham. Well, Next I have another side before I turn over the, the mic to Bill. But now, would you dare to venture into who are the top three men and women that got away 
that you weren't able to get to Yale for one reason or another. <laughs> that Harvard Harvard got or Princeton got, mother. So you know, and give it credit. And um, you know, this is such an international game. And from day one, Harvard. I mean, Ollie Farag, who was such a class kid in college, and what he's doing out there. And there were so many great players, you know, through through there. I mean, I, I you know, I look at the Sobies, you know, on the women's side. On the men's side, I go down, you know, back to the Pandoles and some of the ones that people your your listeners wouldn't remember, but such great history to fast forward to who's there now. I mean, let's just, you know, look at that roster last couple of years. And then, you know, certainly I, I can't even get into all the, you know, in Princeton and, and I could thinking of other schools, you know, now with Drexel and these the way CSAs expanded, just go down the list. And and, and your, your listeners know that where the, the state of CSA we left off was just at the pinnacle, which is what's so cool for me to have been able to experience through the era of where I started and watching the growth. And I got to be part of all that. And that's been my passion. And, and again, I didn't go to college and play. So that's the cool part of the story. So I got 38 years of college and, and you know, I wouldn't be hired now by most universities. Or, you know, they don't hire, everybody's got masters. And, and and Mark sort of snuck in there when he came off the tour and, you know, went out and created Stanford. And we were sort of two knuckleheads and I turned it to Bill if you have questions. But I would just say for me personally, since this is a chance just to say how much I valued my college experience with the growth and seeing where I left off here, you know, last month and when it gets cranked again. But I left home in sort of 18, you know, to try to make a living and played the hardball tour and all that stuff and did everything I did. But at age 30, when I was in Detroit in 82, 83, it was funny, I just cleaned up my office. I found a thing. Uh, Dave Johnson was president of PSA and we bought the portable court. And I actually was playing, I was like 12 or something. And, and you know, that, that era was that era, but I was just, what made me mention that was when I came the next year to look at Yale and I, I turned, I wasn't going to do it. And Anne, my wife, who many of our listeners would know if they know Yale squash, such a part of my career, uh, said, you got to go get that. And it was terrible money and it was a dungeon. And I'm like, why do I want to do that? And God bless, I did. Cause I, I was going to pick up the phone and turn it down. And 38 years and watching, and I never could have done, you can't do what, you know, to me, it's the full circle of, of not only the top of the sport now, but also really impacting these kids' lives and watching kids. Look at Ali Farag, you need it. Number one in the world. He's got that Harvard degree and, and, and enriched so much of everything. And he's pursuing his passion as the best player in the world. So you name it, you can do it. And um, so there you go. Back to Buck, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, 38 years. You're 68 years old, if my math is correct. Uh, <laughs> sorry to age you if that's incorrect. It's not a Zoom. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why now? Why retire now? Yeah, it's funny. Good, good question. It's so funny. A lot of people, because, you know, I've I, <laughs> been around so long, were thought, A, something wrong with my health, or B, I finally got caught. You know, the, the Wild West, <laughs> Dave finally got caught doing something, man. And no, actually, I was under contract and um, Vicky Chun, the new AD, you know, was really hoping I would stay. But I tell you, Bill, it was a combo of um, not playing. Um, I, I, I am healthy. I have passions. I can stay involved. Um, you're down in Milford. I'm in Guilford on either side of New Haven. And it's my passion to stay here and squash Haven and help the next regime, um, you know, the next coach and, um, you know, and still hit balls once in a while there. And but it, it really was about being 68, 38 years. I, I felt it was a good time. My three seniors are coming back. The men's team is very strong. The women's seniors, you know, without getting in all these schools, kids are making a lot of decisions. But next fall, this thing's going to crank right back up. The men will be very strong. Women need to rebuild a little but it was just the right time for me personally, 
because I've got health energy. I want to do some other things. And, and I felt it's going to take, you know, we got to recrank and it's a good spot for the new regime to come in and carry Yale squash to uh, continue. There are a lot of good teams out there and we're in, we're in a good spot. So you've been there since 83. We talked about that earlier. And just overall, talk to us about how's it changed since you started <sighs> till now? I mean, the changes are incredible, not just from hardball to softball, but overall how the sport has grown in this country and the players. Just talk overall how this sport has changed for you since you've been at Yale. Yeah, well, that's, I mentioned, uh, the, the fun part for me to watch the eras go. And, you know, it's funny because I said I almost turned it down. I, when I showed up and I walked into the, the Payne Whitney, it was 27 singles courts and two doubles was the most of any facility and building in the world, okay, which is the truth. And there were places maybe in Europe and other places might have had, you know, 15, 16, 17 courts. And the other place I think was second, um, you know, our famous ex-gymnast coach, Paul Asiani, who when he was at West Point, I remember going up there and he was coaching there. And Paul, obviously, uh, no longer his background is gymnast, but it's funny because <laughs> I remember meeting him and West Point had an incredible number of courts. It was 20 something. Anyway, so the dark ages, um, it, there was a couple of things that come to mind as we moved forward was there was great passion. You already had the best players were already coming over. A lot of them were the international guys, you know, just a handful there and there and pick it up. Vic Wagner, as I say, won the Canadian kid, but more importantly, like it wasn't just a Neil Nyer when I started, there were a handful of international kids already. Okay. And, and I think that was 83, 94 when the ball changed and the women went 93, men in 94, that was obviously a huge moment. And the great thing about here at Yale, and you, you guys know this, is at you at Squash, which is, you know, such a big part of our story here. We were the first ones to sort of be able to bust open the really first big facility, do the first four glass. A lot of people then jumped in after us. But as I go back to uh, Billy, you know, I talked about, you know, how it's changed in college. Well, just juniors. I remember sitting Darwin Kingsley in my little office down there doing the draws the night before for the juniors. And we were always, you know, one of the schools, two or three schools to host fast forward when we were able to build and be able to be such a part of the growth. And then, you know, the, the college game, of course, just flew as the international thing opened up and the court facilities between 94 and, you know, sort of 2010, that era in there where it was just so much growing. And as you guys know, a lot of people say, oh, you can't switch balls. Nobody's going to be able to do all that court switching and the millions of dollars of capital that it's going to take. And it all happened. And I think the, the sport for me personally, just the commitment to the game and the kids never really wavered, you know, in that sense. It was really more of the macro growth. And then making it where we had 50, is it 56, 58 countries representing college squash when we shut down? I mean, a phenomenal number. Um, and, and so as we fast forwarded to where we are now, I mean, we then saw, you know, where it went, if you're going to be pro and all the, you know, overseas, you can't go to college. Well, guess what? Now everybody wants to come to college to train. You can only train twice a day and you can pick up a degree at the same time and follow your other passions outside the court. And so we've, we've just opened up an incredible I think platform here with college squash and, and you guys know, cause you guys have been part of this and you sat, you sat down there at Yale when we were, you know, watching us squash grow. And I'm so proud of us squash to see what they've done. And you guys have been all part of that, that scene. So we were definitely in the trenches together. Dave. I remember <laughs> we <were>. well. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but I had a question. If you look back and you have been at the so many changes have occurred to the sport, especially college squash during your tenure, which has been the hardest for you to adapt to? 
Wow. Or the most challenging? Oh, good question. Um, I don't know. I guess sort of, you know, really was the more the getting the physical plants built, you know, and, and ours and sort of the just tremendous challenge of the ball change. And I know it's funny because during that time, I got labeled as one of the guys because I think I had a bunch of seniors and we were sort of in the middle. They're like, let's play one year a year of hardball. Because I grew up with Jahangir Khan coming over and playing Mark when I was on the tour. You can play, you know, a good squash player can play with any ball. And, and I knew, of course, the importance was one game. I mean, it was never like, you know, hold, we're going to keep hardball. I mean, that was silly. Um, I thought it gave us an extra year to plan a little on growth, but that's here and there. I mean, women went a year earlier, but I was always so excited. But it's an interesting question. I don't think I woke up every morning, I, you know, I was thinking about it because I'm, I'm excited now to, you know, have new things going on. But I just was thinking when I did step down that for 38 years, I just got so turned on by going in there and hitting the balls with the kids and being part of their lives because there's just so much more to coaching. And I think everybody knows that Yale is sort of has its own DNA in the sense that every program and, and some of it's just not true because I, I, I respect so many of these coaches and they've come while I've been here and doing a great job. I could go down the list and as much as people think, uh, you know, Mike Way and I, how much we don't get along. I, I really respect their program. You know? don't, I, don't jump ahead on the questions, Dave. Yeah, we, yeah we, you know, get, okay, we, let's we leave get, him we, out. We get to those, okay. Right. Okay, we're done. Okay, that's it. <laughs> anyway, it's the biggest challenge, but that's a good question. I think it was building the physical plants, you know, and sort of the challenge of stepping in and, and then getting it rolling. And once we hit 2000, we opened that first six Ted Shen wing, we opened those first six and everybody's looking at us and, and everybody else and we're rolling. And I'm like, we can do this and look where we are now. So uh, reflecting on what you, what you enjoyed about the college game, tell me this, what's the one thing you, you won't miss the most? You'll, you'll, you're happy you're gone because you no longer have to do this. <laughs> well, I think there's, you know, don't, don't say talk to me, Dave, either. Cause that's an unfair answer. Well, you're not going to meet, you know, halfway between the Payne Whitney gym. So if they let us both back in there, we will meet there, <laughs> you and I, because we share a common bond of squash, but, um, and golf. We'll, we'll get to that. But yeah. um, the fact is that I think administratively, there's a lot. I don't know. You know, I'm old school. It's the relationships. I don't miss like, you know, there's a lot more and it has to be. There's a lot more crossing T's, dot and I's and all the, you know, sort of administrative stuff. And I'm fortunate because I have a couple of people, staff and Lynn and Tim with me now or were with me and are still here. We're great with that stuff. But I don't miss any of that. I just like the relationships. And also, you know, I, I unlike other places, development raises money, but asking for money. You're always like groping around trying to raise money. And, you know, and some of that is great because it's they can do it and they feel good about it. Some of it, you get to the end of the year, you got to make budgets. And these things are all equal. I mean, schools just we don't get into that. But, you know, all these institutions, they count on all their sports. We have 34 to, to raise additional funds outside what they give you. You know how that works. Oh, yeah. So I won't miss that. So jumping into that, uh, into a little bit more fun stuff, let's talk, uh, and, and you could be as open and honest as you want, and we don't have to mention any names, but, uh, you know, re recruiting to an Ivy League school. Hey, everybody's, every kid's dream uh, is to go to Yale or Harvard or Princeton. Um, give us an example. What's the most out of bounds thing a parent has ever uh, offered you or said to you to get their kid into Yale? Um, seven figures. Seven figures. So we've had monetary offers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not a lot, but subtle. Yeah. Subtle to, you know. <laughs> and how about from an alum who actually graduated and uh, maybe wanted their progeny to follow their footsteps or, <laughs> may, or maybe to get their name put up on a court or something like that? Anything jump out at you? 
Nah, well, the 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 only the one reason no, because people played for me and came through the process and they're a little more. It's funny. I've had a couple. It's just I'm laughing at your question because we don't have to get in names. They have nothing to do with Yale. They're going if you, somewhere if else. If you want to do a name, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> no, we no, 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 we'll allow that. We'll edit it out. We'll cut it out. Couple, a couple of parents who wanted to know if I, you know, was at Yale could be interested in their player, or their family, son or daughter. You know, they wanted to know if they could uh, make a monetary difference into my program. And we would review that. Um, another way of asking you a question, Dave, looking back, you're a living legend and your legacy. What is it something that you look back and you're most proud of the impact that you've had either at Yale or the sport? What are you most proud of? What comes to mind? Well, that's a good question, too. And, and really, for me, um, I, mean, I think there's two phases. That's sort of what, what we've been able to do with the CSA. But also, really, for me, the, I think the most prominent, and I really felt it because people didn't know I was stepping down. And when I did, just the reflections really were powerful for me on how much I've been able to be part of so many of these guys and women's lives, not only why they were here, but also post, I mean, over four years, nobody's able to spend more time with them, especially in a one-on-one sport like squash. And I think it's really the relations. I mean, my closest friends and, you know, all my relationships really have stemmed in the last 30 years, eight years at Yale. And I'm laughing about, you know, kids who are showing, because Taylor Clayton's going to be a first year next fall. And, you know, Tommy was my captain in 89. His dad won one of our first national championship. So, you know, there's just so many personal relationships. And then we touched on the CSA side, seeing how we've become such a leader of the game and sort of, you know, God bless Bob Callahan, who was sort of my cohort, who was there at the same time I came to Yale or within a year. And certainly there's a couple, you know, Gail and a couple, but I'm sort of the last stand on the men's side and to be able to see and I'm, I'm still you know look forward to contributing any way I can to the CSA or the game but as I step back looking where we are where hopefully we pick up you know just feel good about all the different layers of accomplishment that you know myself and others have been involved with and you guys know that because we shared it with U.S. Squash. I do have another side of this question where like any good book this is sort of closing out a chapter in your life but if there was something that was perhaps like you were working on that you didn't think was completely finished that you wish you could have gotten done, was there anything you're hanging out there on the field that you, you wish you could have accomplished during your time? I'd like to want another championship. You know, just put it plain and simple. I'm so competitive. I think people who know me know I'm really competitive. I mean, for us, we're a very personal program. I think people know Yale. We have a sort of that's been one of our monikers, just sort of the Yale family. Um you know, and, and, and not only people there, but alums, I mean, you know, and, and that kind of thing and sort of the personal relationships have always been, and, and, you know, I just am always amazed even just overall sort of in Yale, that's sort of their moniker. But I think I would like to want another uh, men's championship, but I really, you know, it's funny. It's a good question. I, I'm really, I feel very complete. And I also feel good that I can still be around and, and I do have energy and I can contribute to one of my passions is Squash Haven. You guys know all about Urban and what Julie Greenwood's done there and our building and that sort of thing. And and then again, helping uh, continue what we've built here for the last 38 years with the next coach. 
um, unless I don't like them. And we won't get into that. <laughs> Listen, speaking, well, speaking of that, and, and no, we're know, not going to get into it. We won't get into it. No, no, no. Just to, just to transition from Connor's kumbaya questions, we'll maybe go into something a little bit different. Um, so rivalries and, and competition, and you know, you see in other sports like the SEC football coaches like clash with each other. In squash, you guys are like on the court, shaking hands, talking, throwing bouquets at each other basically before every match. <laughs> when I know, and I know, talking to different coaches, that that's just not the way it is so talk about how that's handled and the friction between some of the coaches and how you navigate that world in such a small sport as squash <laughs> well you know i mean there are just it's been so heated and in the dark and i think before and the kids used to ref and gosh you go back to wild west days i mean it was blow by blow out there so this idea of throwing bouquets you know better than that but i think the important thing is was cleaning the product up i mean actually from some of that and the behaviors which were really not good so I think we reached a point there where not only was it heated rivalries, that it was getting a little out of hand. What other sport are the kids in their sport? And it went from, oh, that's a gentlemanly thing to do to, you know, even old timers like me are like, why are we doing this? You know, you can't do this to the kids. So we'd clean that. It started by outside, you know, refing and, you know, doing the things we've been doing to, you know, professionalize the college game a little bit. But I think those rivalries, oh my gosh, down underneath all that, so competitive. Well, I sure had my share of just bashing heads, <laughs> bashing heads, and then shaking hands and oh, nice to see you, you know, <laughs> you know, and just saying get the hell out of here, you know. I mean, so you know how that is. It's we're competitive like any other athlete, right? As you're sort of turning over the reins, what would be your parting wishes or desires to see the college squash game in about ten years? More teams. I'd like to see elevating uh, where we, we don't just, you know, we know when we just had a couple blows with a couple uh, universities dropping sports, it wasn't squash specific. But I really want to see the continued growth of, of more teams and expanding our product beyond the Ivy's NESCAC and the handful of independent. And I think we've got to cultivate the ACC. I think, you know, Virginia is huge. You've got Duke and North Carolina. And I think all this momentum is going to pick back up. It was all there. I mean, I was part of some calls from people when, well, a year and a half ago, even when before the pandemic hit literally a year ago last March and club teams and looking at how they build and how can I become part of the CSA? And I think that momentum is going to pick up. So to me, expansion's number one. And what would you say are the hurdles or your concerns that would prevent us from getting that? I think, you know, costs of all costs. I just think right now coming out of this you know, pandemic that you're looking at shrinking, not expanding. So I think you got to start with the established uh, club where there's some momentum there, and then you got to self-fund a lot of these things. But so there's, there's work to be done, but I felt like we had real momentum with Dave Pullman and the CSA board. So looking at uh, squash a little bit more holistically than just college, um, people always say, hey, I want to make squash big. I can't wait. You know, we need to do this to get squash to be big and to make it. And so what does that mean to you? Like if squash made it, what, what would that mean holistically in, in Dave Talbot's eyes? What does it mean like for squash to make it? Well, I think it certainly is where actually more than one out of 10 know about it. I mean, become more of a mainstream and geographically be able to branch out a, a little more and I mean, I don't think I have anything profound with that. I just, I think this thing has, you know, and you talk about the Olympics and and all that, but look at what, I, you know, I'm not even sure that's been such a, a make it or break it for so many of these national bodies, governing bodies, uh, you know, globally, that we have to retool that. 
So uh, I'm going to jump into uh last couple of fun things before we let Dave go. He's given us more time than we told him that uh, we would take of his on a Saturday morning. So one of the perks of being the coach at Yale, uh, you got to uh, go on some nice trips. Uh, those long van rides that you used to go on up to Maine and things such as that were uh, offset by uh, you've gotten to play some pretty nice golf courses. And uh, golf is a passion of Connors and I's and of a lot of our listeners. So talk to us about Augusta National and what that was like. Well, I got, I have to say that Squash allowed me two trips there and I think he'd be okay with me. I mean, we were fortunate at Yale. We've had some wonderful people and, and so many um, really internationally, and I could go over that, but one of my great families domestically, and the reason I, I, I want to just say who it is that allowed me to go to Augusta twice is because he's a bit of a, a guy that I really respect, and his name's Bill Harrison, and Katie and Anna were his two daughters, and they both played for me long and short, is that Bill is a, a very active member of Augusta, and quick story, because this is about humility, and I hope your listeners, this is a serious story. <laughs> I was one of those things where, if you know the Payne Whitney in my office up by the courts, um, let's back this up. But Katie um, Harrison was a junior at GA and they had all those great teams and she was like five on the team, you know, but they were all, you know, you could recruit the top six for division one. And um, she came to see me just an afternoon or spring of her junior year, the traditional recruiting thing. And it's a small world and I usually know, you know, names and that, but I really didn't know anything about Katie other than she played for GA and she was good enough to recruit. So I was in my office and she came in with her dad, Bill, and I had no idea who Bill was other than he had a Southern drawl. And I said, Bill, you know, and, and uh, so we immediately started talking. And those that know Bill, he went to UNC and he played with Billing Cunningham and those guys. And he sat on the bench and Dean Smith and we talked for an hour about UNC basketball. And I could pick up on that Southern run. Katie just kept looking at me. And all I'd seen is her as a few juniors. And she's like, you're supposed to be recruiting me. And I never, <laughs> literally, I talked to her, you know, we were there for an hour. And then with two minutes ago, I said, well, Katie, why don't you come back? And she just was kind of had it with me. And so we go down in the lobby, the true story. And I, I said, hey, Bill, I go, you know, I know you, you work in, what do you do? And uh, who do you work for? He goes, well, he goes, he goes, I've been coming through the banking for a long time, and I just retired so I could spend more time with my daughters. I was able to do that. And I go, isn't that great? So, you know, that's I go up to my office. Somebody calls me. They say, what are you doing? And I said, well, I just got hanging out with Bill Harrison. I didn't know he played for Dean Smith. He goes, well, you know who Bill is. I go, yeah, he played for Dean Smith. And he just retired. He goes, he just stepped down as chair of uh, J.P. Morgan. <laughs> eight years. And the point is that he never even mentioned that. But then when I got to know Bill, Chris, he never went to business school and he started chemical bank and really a self-made guy and one of the most selfless guys. And and then I just want to say, add that story. I got to go to Augusta with Bill uh, and basically to four years of Katie and four years of Anna. And my, he said, what do you need? And I said, I knew he was an active member down there. I said, well, I'd love a round of golf at, at Yale. Maybe he goes, well, what about Augusta? And so I was fortunate to do that. But I also, when I went down there and I realized it much more the second time because of who he is and the way he treated everybody down there, everybody who worked there, all the people in their seasonal, they get laid off. I got both trips. I got three rounds and, and well, I got four rounds, the second trip. And wow. the second trip I went, the first day it was open after the masters. 
And so all the grandstands were up. You felt like you were playing, wow. which was an honor. And, and only Bill could probably, you know, get that. Of course, everybody wanted that, all the members. And, and uh, but it was really the way that everybody there felt about Bill, like the clubhouse guys. It was like and he just stopped and he talked to everybody. And so it was just such a treat on all levels. And um, what a class gentleman. But I will say, um, I tell you, I have played in a few nice courses, but that was as special as it gets. And I won't be getting invited back, Billy. So I, I don't know what to do for so, you. There. So I'm out. I'm out. Is what you're saying? <laughs> you're, you're out. We'll, we'll play Yale, though. Was there any detail about the course that just like jumped out to you compared to other courses? Uh, you know, everything you can imagine. But I think it was the second time I was there when all the stands were up and it was like you come around to A-Man Corner and you play the par threes, they're coming in and, and you're just, I, I will say, just so much of that is just, you see it on TV, you read about it, but it's, it, it is a very special and, and I'll always honor that. But I also really appreciated who I was with and, and him. And the, the second time I went, I really appreciate And the par three, yeah. Love the par oh. three. So on the regular course, did you break 90? Uh, no. No. Okay. I don't. Let's stop it. Did you roll? Did, yeah, you, roll, no, did, yeah, you, did you roll the ball in the fairway? No, <laughs> no I, I think I was, I paid attention to all rules. Bill, thank you. Cause Bill, I, you know, Hey, you, you know, he's a Connor. stickler. We, oh, I played Connor, with him. He's Connor, a stickler. You know, he's, he's, he caught me cheating. I so before I, 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 didn't, I put, didn't put it down on the ball. Mark, it was right? omission. It was omission. You weren't cheating. But when, yeah. when we played the second time we played, we played with your former assistant coach, Pam Saunders. And you had been playing and been rolling the ball in the fairway. And I was like, I didn't want to say anything because we, you know, we hadn't played. I thought played we were rolling. Was it roll rules? No. It? Well, to you, it was. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but but, but Pam, Pam literally picked up her ball at one time and put it and placed it on top of a tuft of grass. And I said, Pam, what are you doing? She goes, what do you mean? I said, you can't do that. She goes, why not? And I said, it's against the rules. She goes, no, it's not. Dave does it all the time. <laughs> we never... <laughs> I will say I played 38 years at Yale. I never had a scorecard in my pocket. So you know, that's, that's the way I play golf. I know. I, hey, Connor, he's a stickler for rules. I play. I, oh, I, 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 you know, me, playing with Bill, me. it can be painful, but it's fun. Okay. Yeah, it's anyway. that's well said, Dave. I, I do not take I do not take my golf seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I took I took Augusta seriously. Connor, any any uh, any uh, questions to wrap it up? No, I mean, I think, uh, honestly, we could uh, we spending a whole weekend on this and still wouldn't <laughs> be could. enough. So between the three Thank of you. us, we could bring out the bad stuff. too. I know. So listen, let me just close with this. I'm writing a book. People want to know about it. And I am. I've been keeping notes for 38 years. It's called Run Away from the Roar. Okay, Blake, <laughs> you think I'm kidding. You think I'm kidding. Blake Gilpin is my ghostwriter. Okay, if you know Blake, he played number one for me. Blake was interscholastic champion, number one at Milton, won the interscholastic, came to Yale. And when he left, he was number nine and barely hanging on because he was getting a master's. The only player who I ever recruited got a master's in four years at Yale. And he's also a great writer. He's a professor at Tulane. And he and I have been working on this. And it is run away from the roar. And I have promised if I'm going to publish this why some of the people are alive, it's a problem. But we'll see. I'll keep I, you guys up to date. Well, I, I know, uh, Giblin, uh, because we were playing, this was Denison versus Yale. It was 4-4, uh, and it came down to his match, and uh, it went your guy's way, uh, like 15-13 <laughs> in, the, in the fifth. So it was a brutal one for us. And then we had to go travel back to Ohio. So I'm looking forward to the book. When do we think it's coming out? Well, I'm working on it. It's really a question if I'm going to print this thing and come out with it, why certain people are still active here. I because, say do it. Uh, yeah. do, go right, pos posthumously. Is that the word? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've really enjoyed this, guys. Thanks, Dave. Right. That was a lot of fun. Thanks, I appreciate Dave. it. All right, you guys. Take care. I'll see you on the tour here. 
Uh, there's a great interview. And uh, I, I think um, so we've had now we have two guests on the show, both named Dave. So we have uh, nowhere to go, really. I think in squash, we really only have left like there's um, Dave Pearson, maybe the coach, the England coach, Nicole David. Otherwise, like the name David's not prolific in squash. So I think we might be out of David's. Does that mean we're going to stop interviewing people? Because I know how anti-interviewing people. Well, you know what? That one went pretty well. So I think we'll stick with it. Do you think think as long as the person that you want to interview comes from you, does that influence? Yeah. Yeah. So yes. If you said, hey, Bill, let's have so-and-so on and it comes from some idea you have, well, I probably offhandedly just out of hand, just reject it. Are you asking that? That's correct. I'm asking that. 100%. That's exactly what would happen. I'm sure. And then I might like think. Like, but then it, like a week later, you're like, what about ah, that? What about that? Yeah, I know him a little. Yeah, no, it's uh, uh, 100% fair. That's 100% fair. fair for sure. And so the interview with Dave took twice as long as it took to actually get him uh, his computer browser working and get him on the air. So if we could have recorded what that took, I think that we would like that the listens would be incredible. The downloads would go through the roof. Well, he, he got there. But he got there. I, you know, I, I did want to take this opportunity and share, just like many people in the community have a ton of DT stories. My quick one is more from my plane experience when we were out at Denison. So in the middle of, you know, near Columbus, Ohio, and uh, Yale is almost a nine, 10 hour drive away. And between the home and away schedule, we would go play at Yale, right, which is just an amazing experience for us. Like he alluded to, it's just, I mean, Yale was the best facility, is one of the top facilities still. It was just such a great experience for us. Versus then, they would have to come out to Ohio, and we'd be playing on four courts, one, two of them which were convertible racquetball courts. And it was uh, Dave Talbot and Navy were the two teams that consistently would come out and play us. And it was just... Did they fly out there or they drove out there? Um... Navy took the bus. I don't know what Yale did. They, I think it, it went back and forth. But just the fact that they were willing, like yeah. Dave didn't have to make that trip. Yeah, it's great. And I think it, it was a testament to his commitment to, you heard him talk about trying to grow the game. And he knew, you know, this is what it takes. And so to come onto our campus for D3 to have the Naval Academy and Yale, I don't think that's ever been done before. No. So that that's where I, I just give him huge credit for encouraging. He's putting his uh, not to money mention, where his mouth is. Not to mention the automatic win to add to the column for that year. So that's good too. No, 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 no offense. No, that's not accurate. No? No. We you, we were, you heard me say it was 4-4. It was, we almost beat him 5-4. When you were there? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, we were competitive. We were top 10 when we were there. So and, we were on the roster, but. Certain schools wouldn't play us. I, I forgive my ignorance. I apologize. You know what? We'll edit that out. We'll edit that out to make me no, see, I think to that's, see me not um, to make so I don't sound as naive and so condescending. Yeah, we beat Dartmouth. We beat Penn, we crushed Penn when I was there. Um, we were competitive. So is it fair to say the Denison program maybe has hasn't been as strong since you were there? Is that what we're trying to say? You know, after I left, it's definitely gone downhill, and I I can say that there's a. Um, I can't quite say there's a causation, but there's definitely a correlation. <laughs> a causality, if you will. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, Connor, that was awesome. Well, um, well what, what about your take on your quick uh, DT story? Dave Talbot got me into squash. My first ever touching a squash racket was the one he gave me in his office uh, when I was working somewhere else. I came up to work with him on a tournament that he was running. And Mark and he gave me a racket that day, gave me shoes, gave me passes to the gym literally that day. And uh, I was down on the court in my socks and three-piece suit uh, hitting with Mark Talbot on the glass court the first day I ever held a squash racket in my hand. So um, equating it to like, I would say, if the first time you ever tossed a baseball, it was with Derek Jeter. Fair to say that if it weren't for Dave Talbot, I would not be speaking to you right now, I would say. A rare, serious moment on TBD. 
Sure, but I don't know whether to thank him or. Uh... Uh, I think I think he thinks the same way. Hey, when we're on the golf course together, him and I, and I, I tell you what, and the, I am not. I did not exaggerate those stories one bit. He no. was rolling the ball, and we were playing for money. And he's and rolling you like, the ball. You like to poke the bear. You have no problems poking the bear. Well, when the bear's rolling the ball in the fairway, when we're playing a two-dollar Nassau, you poke him. <laughs> There's no question. Yeah, but I mean, you don't have to make it such a sharp stick, you know. I mean, you roll it once. That's fine. Like the fifth time you're rolling it when I'm like two down with three to play and you're, you're, you're rolling the ball and I'm in the woods. I mean, come on. Well, and how excited are you about his, uh, his book? Oh, I'll tell you what, I, 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 I will run, not walk. I will run to the bookstore to buy that book because that's, that's, that's everything that I want in a squash book. It's everything that we'd like to talk about on this podcast for sure that are, you know, we just don't want to be ostracized, uh, ostracized I, from the squash world. I think he should uh, write the full book, uh-huh. release it in two different segments. Re- release one it when he's alive, as, or release it as people pass away. Maybe, maybe like when when there's the, the the proper mourning time after a person passes away, you, you release that chapter on them. I think that would be awesome. Well, we certainly enjoyed the interview with uh, a legend in the game. Um, we hope you did too. Thanks for listening to another show on SQR Squash Radio. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we have a quick ask. In an effort to help us grow, if you have a quick minute, please consider sharing an episode with a friend who might be interested or leaving a rating on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast. It would mean a lot to me and the rest of the team. Thanks so much and have a great day.